Our reading today is from John 15, and it's verses 1 to 8, entitled The Vine and the Branches. If you've got the, um, the church version, it's on 1022, or 1022, if you prefer that. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Let's pray. As we look at this wonderful passage, reminding us that you, Jesus, are the true vine, and your Father is the good gardener. Help us to catch again a vision of what it means to follow you, to abide in you, that we might bear much fruit. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Good. I will start with a question. And, and if you can just raise your hand, if you're in that category, that would be very helpful. Now, how many of you have ever been on a cruise ship before? Oh, a few of you, yeah. I, th I think it's quite um, 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 something that people do here in England. They go on cruise ships, yeah. How many of you would like to go on a cruise ship? Okay. Yeah, there we go. Of course, my yeah, father-in-law, he would like, and my family. And finally, um, how many would say that this is not really for them? to go on a cruise ship. Yeah. Good, good. Thank you. Thank you very much. I feel I'm more in the third categories, but because my father-in-law is here, and he, he has this kind of dream of taking us on a cruise ship at some point, I think in the Caribbean. Was that, is that correct, Johan? Yeah, you see? I must be careful. But actually, after, after hearing that story, I think I'm kind of more definitely in the third group. Now, it's true that cruise ships can be wonderful. This is kind of high time of entertainment. And you have all kinds of things on the on restaurants, and you eat, and you have lots of fun. But you see, a ship depends a lot on electricity. And on February the 10th, 2013, a fire broke out in an engine room on this particular ship the carnival cruise ship called Triumph. And this resulted in the loss of the generator that produced power for the boat. 
Now, if you don't have power for a boat, then you don't have the power to sail it. And the ship started drifting away. And if you don't have power for the boat, then you don't have power for the fridges that keep the food fresh. Now, just imagine more than 4,000 people were on that ship. And if you don't have power for the boat, you don't have any air conditioning that keeps your cabin cool. And you need to remember that the ship is in the middle of an ocean and it's hot and there is no shade. This ship, the Triumph, was intended to be fun and enjoyable, but for four days it was utter misery. Passenger reported long lines to get food, shortage of fresh water, illness and widespread boredom because, of course, you couldn't go to the cinema anymore or enjoy the theater because there was no electricity. Many passengers slept in hallways or outside to escape the odors and the heat below decks. Uh, one of the, uh, channel, the TV channel at the time called it the cruise ship from hell. But I think what people learned, if they did learn something, on that ship is a valuable lesson. And that's when you separate a ship from its power source, you can do nothing. And in our reading today, we read Jesus saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Just like a boat is hopeless without its power source, we as Christians, without the power source that is Jesus, without abiding in Jesus, can do nothing. And so Jesus, using a familiar uh, picture of a vine and a vineyard, stresses that he is the power source. He is the true vine. And that God is the faithful carer, the faithful gardener of his vineyard. And that to bear fruit, we must abide in Jesus' word. And so let's explore those three areas. Jesus, the true vine, God, the faithful gardener, and what it means to abide in Jesus. So what was supposed to be this kind of amazing cruise, because you can kind of see it's turned to a nightmare for them. So what does it mean for Jesus to be the true vine? Well, it's one of the seven sayings um, of I am, like uh, David says, and it's the last one of the seven. Last week we had Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. And if you were not here, I encourage you to listen to Dan's preaching. Thank you very much. It was really a great encouragement to hear how Jesus is our good shepherd and all the implication it has in our lives. But here we have a picture of a vine and a vineyard. And you might have seen some vineyards. Um, there are some in Kent. Uh, I've tried to buy a bottle, and when I saw how much it cost, I said, no, thank you. Um, but there are some vineyards here in Kent. Um, but of course, we're not that familiar with it. 
In those days, they had vines everywhere in Palestine, so they were very familiar. Um, but even more so, the Israelites knew that it was an important picture of who they were, because the vine is an image used in the Old Testament to describe Israel. And God's intention for them was that they would be a witness to the world. But they often failed. And we have many passages in the Old Testament that kind of um, um, speak about that. So, for example, in Isaiah 5, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vine he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, it doesn't mean that he says Israel is the false vine, but Israel has been the incomplete vine. I am now the fulfillment. I am the perfect representation of what it meant to be God's vine. Jesus perfectly embodies what Israel was meant to be. He is the ultimate true testimony of God. And so if you want to know about God, you need to look at Jesus and no one else. He is the ultimate true word of God. He is the ultimate true source of eternal life. And that's kind of also picture in all those, I am saying, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. All that he does is, to, is the fulfillment of God's will, and all that he says are God's very word. And so that's what it means for Jesus to say, I am the true vine. I am all that Israel was meant to be now. And so now look no further into all the laws. Look into me to be reconciled to God. And so secondly, while Jesus is the true vine, God is the faithful gardener. And we read in verse 2 and 3 what he does. We read that God is in the cutting business. He cuts off every branch. Um, yeah, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. Now, in my garden, I have three lovely trees. When I arrived, uh, two apple trees and one who um, is a um, plum tree. There we go, a plum tree. And they were fine when I arrived. I'm not very good with nature, so you might um, guess what happened. My plum tree um, had to be pruned. And I called the diocese as it needs to be pruned. And I called it too late. So they pruned it quite late in the season. And then the next season, kind of a third of the tree was looked really dead. And then what I didn't do, I didn't cut that third so that the other rest of the tree could kind of continue to grow, and I left it there. And now if you go into my garden, it's a very sad sight because my plum tree is barely alive. There is maybe like a fourth who kind of try to 
God is in the cutting business. And if we read this passage, it seems a little bit hard, and we might read into it something that it's not there. We might read into it something about um, the following. You see, it says, those who are in me but bears no fruit, I will cut them off. And so when we need to be careful, because I don't think this passage speaks about people who open their life to God and have accepted Jesus into their life and then lose their salvation. That's sometimes what Christian reads into it. But you have to remember that for Israels, they understood perfectly what this means because they were used to know that they were God's fine and sometimes judgment was coming because they were disobedient. So, for example, in Isaiah, we hear, What more could I have done for my vineyard that I have not done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? No, I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its edge, I will, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. You see, uh, in the Gospel of John, um, John speaks of followers of Jesus that were no true believers. One day Jesus had many followers, and then he turns to them with hard words and said, do you still want to follow me? And many left. And then he turned to his disciples and are you all go- also going to leave me? And he said, no, you, you, where should I go? You have the words of life. And I think here Jesus was also helping them to prepare to a big shock the one that Judah, one of the twelve, was going to betray and being cut off. And I think he was preparing then for future realities where within the church there would be false teachers and people bringing divisions and harming the church. And actually in Matthew 7, did Jesus not say, watch out for false prophets? They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. And even further, he says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. But John says of the true disciple, you have already been cleansed by the word I have spoken to you. And that's what it means to be a Christian. When we open ourselves to God and accept his forgiveness, we are already being cleansed. And actually, it's a a play on word because to be cleansed or to be pruned in Greek is a similar word. And so you are already cleansed or you are already pruned, but be aware, God's going to continue that job of pruning you. Jesus said in uh, John 6, 37 and 39, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. I will never cut off. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and when they come he will never cast them out. Nothing, not one branch. And so these are the strongest possible statements about how secure we are in Jesus. 
I will lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And actually, I think in this passage, there are words of great encouragement because they tell us that God is the gardener and he will deal with the cutting. We don't need to do that. We don't need to worry about it. God's church is God's vineyard and he will ensure its health. Now finally, if Jesus is the true vine and God the good gardener, what does it mean for us to abide in him? True believers will also experience cutting, but a different kind of cutting, the pruning. Our call is to abide in Jesus. And if you look at the dictionary, abide means to hold on, to stick with, to stand by, to act according with Jesus' words and his life, to follow. Follow me, hold on to me, stick with me, live and act in accordance with what I said. We are in the hands of a good gardener. We're not left to our own device and God is very much interested in our choices because they will determine our fruitfulness. And God wants us to be fruitful. God wants this church to be fruitful and God wants your life to be fruitful because he does it for the sake of the whole world like Israel was meant to be a good news for the world we are meant to be good news to this world and so whatever in danger that fruitfulness he will deal with it in his love being pruned can be uncomfortable even painful it may require some major changes laying aside a lifestyle or an attitude or a character. But we do that because we know that it blocks God's life. God will be pruning our lives, our habits, our lifestyles that are blocking his purposes. He will do it because he's too interested and loves us too much to allow those to grow and eventually to destroy God's life in us. And so when we grasp that this is out of love, that God wants to bless us, then we will entrust ourselves a little bit more and abide in him. But there is even better news. For the gardener, pruning is not something seen as negative, but a necessary procedure for a vine's health. If you're a gardener, you know all about the need to prune and cut. Um, I know because I let things grow, and when you have to stand cutting, you kind of sweat. A garden needs to be cut and pruned to show its beauty. A tree needs to be pruned to show its beauty. And so God sees it as a necessary procedure for our health. We think of God's pruning in a negative light because it sometimes hurts and it's uncomfortable. And so finally, a lack of being pruned is not something to be celebrated because anyone who lives in him and, he, and, he, and Jesus in us will be pruned. 
And you will have stories to share about being pruned. Thank you very much, Andrea, to share a very personal story of courage and how God helped you going through this. And now you stand to, to tell us all how God is great and how he has sustained you and protected you. But I'm sure it felt like pruning and it was painful. God is a good gardener. We should all have testimonies in our lives of God's pruning because this is the sign of being part of his family. Those who abide in me and me in them bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. And my Father will be glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. When we stay connected to Jesus, prayer will be a growing reality in our daily life. Not just because we feel in trouble or we feel we have to, but because we want to. We will want to learn more about God through scripture and meeting other Christians in groups. Not because, again, we have to, but because we're hungry. We will want to uh, come here on a Sunday to worship, not because it's just an event, but because we are experiencing a living God. We will want to hear the person standing here preaching, not because he's, you know, we just have to or endure it, but because somehow we experience God's grace in it. I hope this is the case for you this morning. So we heard this morning that God is responsible for the well-being of his church and the well-being of our lives. His vineyard is his, and he is in the cutting business. Jesus is the true vine, and life springs from him and him only. Success in John 15 is not about achievements, but about abiding, following him. Life on that ship the triumph became horrible because it was cut off from its power source. Let us, as individual and as a church, remain connected to the power source, the vine, Jesus, by abiding in him and in his word. Then our lives and our church will glorify God and we will bear much fruit. Amen.